Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello and welcome to Headliners. I'm Stephen Allen. I'm joined by proof that the cost of living crisis has even hit TV booking budgets. It's Sajila Kershi and Josh Howie. And outraged. Oh, outraged already by that one. Do you know, I mean, you're here to review the first half of the newspapers because we never really go beyond the middle, the fold, do we? Are we going to review the horoscopes? I think maybe that should be a new feature we add in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they, they're as reliable as politics right now. That's the really. front page. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you do you often read your horoscopes? Do you believe any of that stuff? Yeah, when it's good. <laughs> good man. Excellent. I used to. I don't anymore. Really? Yeah. Typical. What star sign are you? Taurus. Typical oh, yeah, Taurus. Yeah, yeah. That's how that joke works. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, 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 I get it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's move on to uh, take a look at the front pages. Uh, we can start off today with the Daily Mail. They go with a headline, Bank Chief Families Are Facing Food Price Apocalypse. Governor admits he's helpless over inflation. That headline appears pretty much on all the papers. We moved to the Telegraph. Uh, the Bank Chief Food Price Rise Will Be Apocalyptic. They also have the stories of lockdown damage, toddlers' speech skills, and DUP urges Johnson to put plans on scrapping protocol into law. More on that as we go through the show. The Independent, I'm ready to be myself. Be free, the story and the picture of Jake Daniels. Their main story, though, bank chief warns of apocalyptic food prices, just to bring the vibe back down. Uh, to the front page of The Guardian, bank chiefs warn over apocalyptic food prices. You see the pattern now. Also, Putin <laughs> taking hands-on tactical role in Ukraine. What's on their front page? To the Financial Times, Bailey deflects blame for soaring inflation onto global shocks. And uh, they also, down the bottom, have a story. Wall Street wonders if Musk is too big to regulate the man, not the smell. Uh, the mirror goes with, as Bank of England boss warns of apocalyptic food prices, MPs vote today on whether to give struggling families £600. Tories want to block it. Why can't they, for once, just do the right thing? The opinion of the mirror there. The Times, football at age 17 makes, historic, uh, makes history by coming out as gay. We'll talk about that story today. And petrol firm profiteers fail to pass on duty cut. Uh, the Sun has Colleen Vardy's evil text. Colleen Rooney yesterday branded fellow wag Rebecca Vardy a fibber. Big stuff. Uh, the front page of the Metro. <clears throat> Proud to say I'm gay is their main story. And then finally to the star. Official new government advice on how we can all beat the cost of living crisis. Don't be so poor. And those are your front pages. Let's get started. Uh, Sajila, Tuesday's Mirror tells us of food shortages. Do I have to stockpile again? Oh, gosh, yes. But I th- I'm always stockpiling. I always keep extra, extra, like, backup. Um, so oh, you've heard a lot the ocopolytic. I can never say that word. I wish I hadn't used that word. Apocal- it's on every front page. I know, it's every <laughs> front page. And I cannot say that word. Ocopol- ocopol- that word, it, so that's happening. And it's kind of the main deal here in this story is the Bank of England governor gives a apocalyptic warning about food prices due to Ukraine war. So it's between kind of the governor, um, as we like to call him, uh, known as he's for the, he's the governor of the Bank of England, um, and uh, he, he basically saying the food, pri- food prices like food, like wheat and oil 
uh, cooking oil, which is like in Ukraine, because it's having problems coming over, the prices are shooting up. So uh, wheat's gone up by 25%. Um, I'd like to put a positive spin on it. Um, wheat's not really good for you because it's carbs and it's like, you know, it kind of curbs off like diabetes. So that's probably a good thing. And then oil, well, you know, oil is never good. Is it frying? So we could just dry fry food. So that could be a benefit. I'm just trying to find a positive, guys. Come what on. What groups have you got left? You've ruled out fats um, and carbs. No, we've got vegetables. We can let them eat veg. <laughs> we can. But no, the point is, um, yeah, I, I, he's saying hindsight's a great thing, you know, because pe- people are criticising quite rightly. Um, the committee chairman, Bell Stride, has told him, um, you know, the ability of the banks to forecast inflation seems to have gone rather amiss for some period of time. So he's saying it's not just like a recent thing. Um, and he's been asleep at the wheel. You know, the banks have been asleep at the wheel. Why couldn't you predict this sooner? Why, you know, why weren't, you didn't get a handle on this sooner? And then he responds, um, the, the chair, the, the, the governor, the governor responds with, well, we can't predict things like war, which is kind of not true because we had been talking about the possibility of war for quite some time, ever since I've been doing this show, mm. right? You OK, Josh? I, I am OK, yeah. Uh, Are you worried about the flat? my eyes. <laughs> I'm just uh, trying Fired. to... Work out how to say apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. <laughs> <laughs> you've now, you've set me off. Yeah, it's been... Uh, I do, the, do all the family shopping and stuff, and I've been trying to get some sunflower oil for a couple of weeks. I mean, I don't want to take it away from everybody else and just make it about me, but I'm just saying it's it's really hot out there. And doing the shop shopping today, uh, like so, like pasta's gone up, and, and sort of it was about a pound for a big load of it, and now it's like a pound forty. Like it's all everything is like significantly yes, yeah. jumped up now, and uh, and uh, you know, luckily I'm here at GB News. Uh, earning a bit of money, but things were. If, if I wasn't here, th- to be honest, things would be tough. And I bought some Monster Munch for the kids today. I, I wouldn't have done that. Seriously, six months ago, if the, we're in this situation, my family, you know, wouldn't have been able to get the kids some Monster Munch. Like, the, I know that it seems like a s- silly thing, but those are like little treats and things like that. Those yeah, are people are making like much harder decisions than I am. And I feel very blessed that, but the, to be to be honest. Have but, you done the heating thing? Because I've like obviously now I think oh, officially we're in spring, so I can't justify put the heat on. I get really cold, and I've just gone back to like you know when my childhood is like just put an extra jumper on, <laughs> so you like just you know wear some extra layers. But this is a reality. I mean, you're, you're, you know, yeah, we're talking from he- our point of view here. This, yeah, as you and, say, and the, the scary thing, and I guess this is why they're using the word apocalyptic, is because it could and it looks like it will be getting worse. This isn't just an overnight thing. This is something that obviously interest rates have been incredibly slow, incredibly uh, low for a long time now, for nearly a decade. And they've deliberately kept it like that so they can keep on printing and just pumping out more money to keep the system going. Now we're paying for that because prices haven't been going up properly to the level and that inflation has been deliberately sort of kept artificially low because of them just printing more money as they needed it. And unfortunately... Um, Things are going to get are already tough, and he's saying they're going to be tougher. And with the war or not, definitely prices would have been going up anyway because it was unsustainable. Well, the next story might offer something of a solution. Tuesday's independent, Josh. Uh, first, we had George Eustace telling us to buy cheaper things. Mm. Has he been outdone in terms of wisdom? Oh, yeah. Rachel uh, McLean, uh, Home Office Minister, uh, has said that people should get a better job. And I am very happy to report that I am moving on to HBO. <laughs> so thank you for that advice. 
Good job, she said it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so few. Uh, no, that's what she's saying. It's like take on take on more hours, use your local job center. But this is the most telling part of it, and we're talking about someone here who claimed two hundred and thirteen thousand pounds in expenses last year. But this is what she says. This is the real part of the quote that really just shows how misaligned she is with reality and expectations for people. She says. Uh, it might be right for some people, they may uh, be able to access additional hours, but of course, it is not going to work for people who are already in three jobs. So what they're really saying is, the expectation is, we should have a minimum of two jobs. Like, oh, if you've got three jobs, okay, this doesn't apply to you, but people shouldn't have two jobs. Like, people should have their job, be paid well enough, and work to be able to finance their life and the lives of their families it shouldn't, there just is an expectation here that, oh, we should already be having two jobs, but then the three jobs people. I mean, how out of touch is this human being with, with what's going on? I'm 100% with you on that. Um, and the fact that she's claiming and have expenses to actually feed a small village is just beggars belief. And that's just an expense. It's not, never mind getting extra jobs. And, you know, we as creatives, like, we juggle a lot of things. I know because you have got the Netflix thing. You are doing well. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I am also doing well. yeah you're doing Thank my fan son's a fan. Uh, and, and, you know, we do juggle a lot of things. Uh, but how many more, it's like, how many more hours can you fit in the day, like, to get that levelling income so that you can live in yeah. a, you know... I think that point's really valid and it's less valid for us because we actually could work harder and do more. I mean, yeah. I mean, I became a comedian quite specifically to not work yeah. or to work <laughs> 20 minutes a day. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm it's not 20 minutes, though. It's like the four know, hours travelling, the, yeah, the four yeah, hours yeah. back. But, but we could add more into our days if we really had to, whereas someone who's working all of the awake hours in a factory, what else are you going to do? Yeah, Just invent time travel. I don't yeah. see how else you could fold it in. Of course, what you do then is you buy things that aren't as expensive. That's the other piece of advice that we had previously. Jeez. Yeah, but, but I mean, I, I guess what she was trying to say, and she said very badly... Is it yes that, that overall there's probably a long-term strategy to make jobs uh, better jobs that jobs that pay better more? But the word that she didn't use is opportunity, and that's the thing is is like you say the person someone working in a factory working twelve-hour shifts there isn't necessarily that opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Maybe long-term education can be improved. Not that I'm seeing any of this stuff actually happening, but. The, the idea is to create this opportunity, but that isn't the word that she used, and that was unfortunate. Mm. But she dismissed all of it, like, but I've given like 500 uh, you know, million to the hardship fund, which local councils can use as and where you know, it's needed. Like, that's enough. We've done our bit now. You know, it's just like throwing like, money at a, a beggar, really. I listened to Radio 4, as I do sometimes on the school run. Sorry. Uh, and... <laughs> <laughs> the person, what the person was saying is, and this is what something that ties into uh, the Queen's speech last week that Boris Johnson gave, is that there wasn't anything targeted, specifically targeted from central government to help the people most in need. And I'm not talking about getting Monster Munch and whatever. I am talking about heating, about the very basic essentials for families, and they haven't put that in. And this kind of thing is an insult to say it to those families who are genuinely struggling. Let's move on now to Tuesday's Guardian, Sajila. Um, it seems that Northern Ireland protocol might not have been quite so oven ready, or maybe I just don't understand how ovens work. Um, yeah, so Boris is changing his own deal, basically. Um, so his plan to scrap parts of Northern Ireland protocol is only an insurance policy, says, uh, says Boris Johnson. So he's been criticised on this uh, legal move, which has been delayed for a few weeks. Um, Boris Johnson said the legal move to ditch parts of Northern Ireland protocol is only an insurance policy 
um, as it emerged that the controversial legislation has been delayed for some weeks. Now, basically, one of the phrases that they used, I think it was leaked to the Times, was um, that they want to bring a gun to the table, but then it's not a loaded gun and they're not going to use it. It's a paperweight. <laughs> yeah. It's really and cool it's looking. Like, but, it's just but, a cool, but, everyone but loves a cool looking gun. That's like an like, like analogy of, of like, you know, everyone who's got nuclear weapons, uh, they're not going to use them, but we're just having it as protection, as a, as a sort of a, as a, as a guarantee. Please don't say the word apocalypse at the end. I'm not going to say apocalypse. Apocalypse, yes. Apocalypse now was a good film, by the way. <laughs> Great, um, yeah. And, and so it's always like a spaghetti western, you know, everyone's like got their gun hands on their, you know, and then, and then someone's going to draw at some point. This, how is this dragon? How are we talking about Brexit? I know. Still, like, I it was, it was like, it, that was it. Like, okay, people voted, the majority voted. I understand that. I don't agree with that, but that was democracy happened. Fine. We're, we're out. Deals were signed. And now it's like, oh no, yeah, like, that deal isn't good. Mate, you created the deal. You created the situation, Boris. You created, you wrote, you got the deal. You signed the deal. And now you're like, oh, well, this is, we need to make changes. We need to get out of the deal. That's your deal. That's the deal you you were going for. How are you turning around and then going, oh, well, actually, this is a bad deal. It needs improvements. Here's an idea. Put those in when you're doing the deal. And this all goes back to what was said at the very beginning. I don't know I'm going to get some hate tweets on Twitter about this. But at the very beginning (laughs) of all of this stuff, all the debates, all what experts know, they said straight at the beginning, it's unfeasible to do Brexit and to sort this out but with compliance with what's going to happen in Northern Ireland. And to keep, you cannot do both at the same time. They said it before people voted for Brexit. They said it all the way through all of the deals. That it's and that's the reality of it. You cannot have both, and that's what they're trying to still somehow miraculously push through by threats and what. It, you just can't feasibly have both. It's impossible. Are you supporting him in this or not? I'm getting no. I'm absolutely no. Of course, I'm not supporting. It. It's like <laughs> yeah. oh, sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Too, too, I got too. I got too much blood went to there to actually think properly about sarcasm. Are you, are you hungry? <laughs> no, it's just you know what? It's like it's like I'm I'm over you know I'm over it. But um, but then why bring this back? Like you signed the deal, mate. This is your deal, and now you're still trying to push this stuff forward. But and, and hopefully this is bringing the balance and the counterpoint. Maybe it's not, but. The one reason to do it is that if you've got uh, something you need to sell by saying, I'm going to get it done, you get it done and fix it later. This is what they always say when you go for a job, right? If someone says, do you have the skill? Can you use spreadsheets? You say yes and you learn between the interview. So maybe it's a bit of that, that he was Well, there's a difference between saying that and saying, you know what, we're actually going to break international law and we're going to make that, we're going to make legislation so we can just rip it all up and whatever. Yeah, if you want to debate these finer points... That's that. That's what they're going through the process at the moment. You don't then make it a possibility and make it into law that we can just chuck it all out the window because we're not getting our own way. Yeah, we'll see how they do on that one. Uh, let's move now on to Tuesday's Telegraph. Sweden, Finland could be joining NATO. Uh, Josh, this is uh, this is making Putin happy, like you were a second ago. <laughs> yes, uh, but hopefully I'm not as puffy as he is at the moment. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, this is a big, I mean, it's a big deal. Sweden, I believe, has been a neutral country, or hasn't been aligned militarily um, for 200 years. So this is a a big deal. Uh, Finland for 75 years. 
they also traditionally have been, I wouldn't say necessarily anti-NATO, but they have been, but, but uh, I think like three, 85% of the 200 MPs like voted for it, have said, you know, so they're both countries have, are in the process of applying. Uh, there's a slight little hiccup because Turkey is a little bit angry with Sweden because Sweden's been sort of giving a little bit of support to the Kurdish. Um, so there's that, that. You need all 30 members to be able to, to agree to let in the new people. Uh, it's like when, you know, my wife and I joined the swinging club and, uh, you know, everybody had to say, give the okay. Um, <laughs> but one of them is a better mental image than the other. Is Thank that you. why you're angry? Because you got refused. Well, yeah, they let my wife in and uh, they didn't let me in. So, yeah, th- this uh, and of course, uh, Putin is furious and making threats and, um, you know, what, what kind of trick that they will trigger a response. Well, it's like, mate, you <laughs> don't then go invading sovereign nations and then expect that that was the response. You've got the response. Well done. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? It's, Putin was saying NATO expansion was the issue and he's managed to bring about NATO expansion. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I know you said swinging club, but I wrote down here that it's like basically joining a, a golf club, that members-only golf club. That you're never swinging quite in both. Yeah, we're swinging mm. both, actually. Yeah, there is a bit of swinging in both. You're quite Balls. right. Yeah, we're on the right sort of track, both you and me. Yeah. I, but yeah, and he's just not, he, he's just never quite good enough to get in, is he? Like, he, or, or be part of that club. Yeah, I mean, part of the... Oh, well, you're uh, saying Putin wants to join NATO? I think he does. You think I he's think secretly... He, I think he secretly does. <laughs> this is a very the, interesting yeah, yeah, yeah. idea. I don't think he wants to join this organisation that's yeah. set up specifically to hate him. Yeah, but interesting. I, oh, not I will go him, around it a really but, weird way by... Yeah, OK. Maybe he's just... Yeah, maybe he's jealous. Yeah, doing the ground show marks. Yeah, I wonder if a club that would have me as a target. OK, interesting. Well, coming up after the break... You mean interesting is in totally wrong? Yeah. OK, yeah, fine. Coming up after the break, more from Boris Johnson as he takes on Liverpool boss Jurgen Klopp and Brits lead the world at something, but unfortunately it's refusing to go back to the office. Welcome back to Headliners. I'm Stephen Allen, still joined by the Ross and Rachel of this room. Spoiler alert, they won't. It's Sajila Kershi and Josh Howie. And let's move on now, uh, Sajila, to the Times that tells us that a fast food restaurant is pulling out of Russia. They're not loving it. Ah, right. So, um, do you... you, I mean, I remember... uh, So, McDonald's McDonald's are basically quit Russia after 30 years. And I actually remember uh, Mm. the images of people queuing around uh, Pushkin Square... And that was back in January the 31st, 1990. And it's the biggest at the time. Oh, my God. How do we, I'm so old. <laughs> I remember that so well. I do remember it. I remember it really well. This is kind of scary. Oh, no, I remember it's before myself. Oh, my God. OK, so um, basically they're closing down uh, a chain of stores there in, uh, because they're saying it's because of the war. Um, and, uh, you know, the humanitarian crisis caused by the war in Ukraine um, you know, it's not in keeping with, you know, McDonald's values. Uh, let's look at McDonald's values. What are they? Oh, that's right. Climate change. You know, they've got an empire of 39,000 restaurants in 119 countries. 2% of the world's uh, total beef is consumed by McDonald's. You know, um, the carbon footprint, 53 million metric tonnes of carbon. So, you know, they're obviously very, you know, they're, they're very principled people. I think litigious as well. So huh? good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. But I also think that it's it's not to do so much with the war and stuff. I think it's 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 actually 
um, because McDonald's came when, when the country was just coming out, the kind of Cold War, I think that its, it's sales are going to go down. You know, there's, we're talking about the cost of living here. It's going to affect Russia. And I suspect it's a business move more than anything because they're everywhere. You know, like every country you go to, I, I always had for the McDonald's, no matter how bad, like, I mean, things have changed anyway. Everything's become Americanized now anyway. Every, when you used to go to countries that didn't have, mm. I knew I could get a sit down toilet in a McDonald's. So <laughs> okay. I would, I would Wait, is that there. on their specials board? Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, and, you know, it, it, yeah, I love McDonald's going, and every, no, you have to try it. I, I don't like them here. Does anybody know when the first McDonald's in the UK opened? 1974. You guys remember the article? I'm obsessed with McDonald's. I absolutely love McDonald's. But I think that, uh, but I have to disagree with you. I don't think, I mean, they're losing like $1.2 billion or something. They're closing 850 stores. It's a it's a big deal. It's a financial hit. Of course, they're making many billions across the world anyway. But I do think it's a big deal. But the interesting thing that one of the most interesting things I thought in this article was that the growth of digital ordering, they're saying, accounts for more than 50% of their orders now. Really? Now, that is huge. And that will change things. And other places now as well, they don't even have stores. They just have, like, they have containers where they make all the stuff and it just goes out you know, Uber and all the other different food services. And that's, they're saving a huge amount of money by doing it like that. Having no front of house, no restaurants, no anything. Cook the food in these containers and then they just send them out. In terms of feeling old, the last time I tried to use a McDonald's, years ago, but I hadn't been to one for years before that, I walked in there and it was just touchscreen posters everywhere. And I was like, no, I'm out. That's not how shops work. I've reached that age where I can't, I, I nearly called something newfangled. That's how old they made me feel. They are quite newfangled. But I always feel dirty after a McDonald's. So, you know, like, immediately you're hungry. You think, yeah. Plus side. And I think, oh, no, it's just oozing out my pores. I can't bear it. Yeah. Mm. Well, something to think of on the way home, isn't it? Um, so, Jubilee <laughs> Tuesday's Mail, a story of football being dragged into at least the 1980s. They're catching up, mm. aren't they? Well, this is, this is, I didn't think this was a thing. Call, call me, like, new-fashioned. Because I thought this was all normal now. Um, yeah, so uh, I am ready to be myself, be free and be confident. So Blackpool FC forward Jake Daniels, only 17 years old, becomes the UK's first male professional footballer to come out as gay since Justin uh, Fashno in 1919. He was 29 at the time when he came out. So I didn't, you know, that time I can understand. But now I, I don't know why this would be a thing. But he's been lauded as being very brave and... Um, you know, he, he he wants to break the stigma of, of you know, uh, being gay in, in their sports because it's seen as being quite homophobic and they want to like, clamp down in the same way with racism, which is zero tolerance and quite right too. You know, it, it, let's face it, this is all a bit sort of dated. Um, and for him, bless him, how mature and inspiring at 17 years old. So he told Sky Sports, it's been quite a crazy year. I'm 17. I've signed a professional contract. I've scored 30 goals in this season. And I've just made my first team debut in the championships coming off the bench against Peterborough. So I thought he, I think he thought it was a good time to like come out. And he's, I mean, clearly got a supportive family. And, you know, the fans have gone, gone the back of him. He's had loads of people, um, you know, praising him, other pl- players who came out after their careers were over. Uh, Aston Villa player Thomas uh, Hiltzperger, he's 40 now, um, but didn't come out until after. And then to- yeah, Thomas Beatty. So it's a really lovely story, but it's just a shame that we, we kind of, 2022 now we're in, that it's kind of taken this long to... Well- Josh, I mean, as much as we're now about to feel bad for being Generation Xs, mm. but is this because he's 17? Because this Generation Z, yeah. they are just better at some of these things. Mm. I guess so. I mean, 
it, it is, like Sajid said, I, I was sort of surprised it's such a big story because certainly amongst friends, even when I grew up and my, you know, my best friend came out as gay, it just wasn't, we were very nonplussed about it and it wasn't a big deal. And so it's, but I'm, but I'm not into football. I'm not part of a, a sort of, I guess, a more laddie culture, obviously. Um, so I can't really speak to what, how that world is. Um, but the fact that this is, that he's the first person to come out in however many years, um, shows obviously there is still homophobia there. Um, but, but saying all that on a positive, there's been this sort of seemingly a universally positive, um, I'm sure there's trolls on Twitter and stuff, but, but it seems like all the teams, everybody's very supportive. And this seems like a good thing. Hopefully we can move it forward. I, I was reading about, um, uh, Amal, uh, Fashionu, who, uh, I think was John Fashionu's niece. Maybe there's a foundation to fight homophobia and uh, that provides counseling to gay football players. And two of them are in the Premier League and, uh, and, and, uh, hopefully these guys will see the positive reaction and feel like they can also come out and be, if they want to. So it's, it's a good story, but it's also a bit weird that yeah. it needs to be a story. It's, 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 it's just to say, he's not the only gay in football. There are loads of others. I think he's just the one that's come out. And, mm. yeah. You're also right to say that and you will be able to find trolls for anything online. And yeah. I, I, that's proven by someone told me that they were looking on YouTube. There was a video of Whale Song and someone had thumbs downed it. Who goes around going, that whale's not very good at singing? What's wrong with people? Sickos. Um, seeing as you've had message you don't really know much about football, we'll stay with you, Josh, and talk about football. Uh, yeah. Tuesday's Telegraph says that fans booed the national anthem. Have they heard their own singing? <laughs> yeah, so this was um, at some big cuppy thing at Wembley. Uh, that happened, I was very aware of. And Liverpool fans uh, booed Prince William, um, which and the national anthem. And I was just, I was a little bit shocked when I sort of read about it. I didn't see it, but I read about it. Uh, Klopp um, basically defended Liverpool fans, as uh, uh, probably doesn't want to deal with any abuse on them, and basically said, oh, they're wonderful, wonderful people, and I'm sure they've got their reasons, as opposed to condemning it, and all, pretty much all politicians across the political divide have, have, uh, have condemned it. Uh, but I didn't realise that it turns out that Liverpool... Um, and look, of course, Liverpool was treated terribly, certainly by Thatcher uh, and Hillsborough. They, you know, have absolute reasons to distrust the authority or whatever you want to call it. But I didn't know it went to that level where you had Liverpool fans who won't support England or um, have flags saying "Scouse, not English" or whatever. That, 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 that. So I didn't know that that strength of feeling was there. I still don't think that's a justification to boo Prince William, who. Has nothing to do with any of that, um, and seems like a pretty decent human being. I didn't know this. So, what do Liverpool want to? What do they want? Partition? What, what's what's happening with Liverpool? Then I didn't know they do. No, oh, I'm not okay. saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you heard it here first. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't. But I also, on the flip side, uh, and I, yeah, they shouldn't have booed him. But I do just make me wonder if the monarchy, you know, is like something that might be coming to an end. Oh, God, that would have get really bad. Should we move on and say yeah. uh, To the mirror now, Sajila, and there might be a hominid species that's only three foot six. I'm gre- guessing they're aggressive and boastful to try and make up for it. Oh, so there's a mysterious hobbit-human species which may not be extinct, says expert in controversial claim. Um, so there have been sightings of these small, hairy, humanoid creatures living in the forest. And, in, you know, uh, in Hull. Huh? In a, I don't, don't no, but it's like, it's like, it's, this is like Bigfoot, 
But big foot's little foot. <laughs> you know, do you know what it's like? Because like, yeah. that's the, is, is there any three foot something, whereas big foot was obviously huge, but they do have big feet as well. Um, and the sightings of these ape man in Indonesia could be proof that Homo floresensis species, believed to belong extinct, is alive today. In other words, a hobbit, basically. Um, and I think we've got a picture, have we not? Of, of, of the- <laughs> it's not be a picture of me real. because I'm going to get very <laughs> upset. <laughs> How could there be a picture if they don't exist? No, no because they, they, they've talked, there was a photo. Oh, look, they're showing you now. No, no, no it wasn't. They're, they're, yeah, they're, I thought they were going to put it up there. Um, but anyway, there, there is a, they've got small brains, large-footed tool makers. Um, and uh, it's, it's, oh, my God, the things that are anthrop- anthropologists Apologists will do Pocalypse. and say for publicity and funding. What did I say? I say that wrong as well. No, 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 you didn't. I was, I being, so I was being an idiot. Mean, you no, know, I, I was being mean. I was being mean. I'm sorry. Well, you speak five so, languages. But it's, um, it's but, not as if everyone's saying these things are actually real. This is quite the controversial claim. No, no, no. Yeah. no. It's so, um, so this guy, uh, Gregory Fourth, tells the live science, he goes, we simply don't know when this species became extinct or indeed, dare I say... I did dare say, we don't even know if it is extinct. So there is some possibility that it still lives. So basically, he's kind of like, but other, other people are saying, no, it's, there's no way. It's been thousands of years. This is not, this is not real. But there's been sightings, like at least I think 200 people or something. 30, 30 eyewitnesses 30. accounts of similar creatures that match the description of the Hobbit. They could have been just hairy children. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Hairy children. Could or be hairy or lockdown, children. Well, lockdown short. You know, dirty lockdown men. <laughs> <laughs> dirty lockdown men. Yeah, but you know, we haven't had them washed, yeah, haven't changed. And actually, that's their the scientific forest. name. Dirty, dirty <laughs> lockdown men. It's the middle-aged rock band yeah. on the form. <laughs> more victims of COVID. Yeah, more victims <laughs> Those of COVID. Dirty lockdown men. Actually, I mean, do you have a take on these mythical beasts? Uh, no, I mean, it would be, I guess, it would be cool if they did exist because obviously they're shooting... Lord of the Rings, <laughs> and that would just make things a lot easier on their budgets. They wouldn't have to do all the special effects and, you know, make a big cup for the person to come, you know, to make it look like they're actually, small, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. They could just get these, hire these uh, Indonesian uh, well, people. Why, why don't we see if they're real and just throw some rings in the forest and see, you know, as bait? Well, fingers crossed. You never know. We might I don't know if they will have read Lord of the Rings, necessarily. <laughs> doubtful. <laughs> they might have seen the DVD, the Blu-ray. Tuesday's Times next. Josh and a man who's making uh, mountain climbing seem pointless. I'm probably not even going to bother now. Oh, my gosh. Uh, climber Kenton Cool. He's such a cool name. Well, I mean, what an appropriate name for somebody who's climbed Everest. A bunch of like Miss yeah. Kenton Rope or oh, whatever. It's, it's actually Kenton Edward Crampon cool. Yeah. Uh, he has climbed Everest 16 times now, more than any non-Sherpa. And uh, 25 years ago, he was told, actually, that he'd never, he wouldn't be able to walk unassisted ever again. So this is an amazing accomplishment on top of an amazing accomplishment. Uh, he's 48 years old. Um, and uh, he's also climbed K2. And he's done, like, this other challenge, which is all, like, three mountains at the same time. And, I mean, look, he's, I'm, I'm impressed. He's a very masculine person. I liked, particularly at the end, when he said, he says, his, I love being in the mountains. I love being in the Himalayas. I love being with my Sherpa team. He's married with two kids, by the way. <laughs> really. Is this making you interested? I mean, I, I went up Kinder yep. once and came back down miserable because it was raining. So this is not my cup of tea at all. I used to do rock climbing when I was younger, believe it or not. Um, but no, I think this is fantastic. What, you know, 48 years old, done it 16 times before, was told he couldn't walk. Now he can do it. It's wonderful. And he doesn't look 
bad for it, like the Harry Hobbits. He's not too weathered. No, he looks great. He looks great. He moisturises as well. Um, Well, almost the total antithesis of this one. Sajila, the Daily Mail, covers uh, the new culture war battleground, working from home. Oh, so the remote genie is out of the bottle and no one can ever squeeze her back into it again because nobody wants to go back into the office, including myself, right? So British workers are leading the world in refusing to return to the office despite a push by ministers to kickstart the commuter economy in the wake of coronavirus pandemic. Now, the thing is, um, they're saying that women, they're blaming women for this. Women are said to be the ones that lead in the so-called flexidus, they're calling it. Let's uh, see what they did there. <laughs> yeah. uh, because staff are demanding a mixture of remote and in-office working, with 52% admitting that they have left, where well, they would leave a job or, or change, you know, uh, 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 um, due to lack of flexibility. So I think flexibility is key in any job um, to keep a, a worker happy. But... We've had this, I mean, I know even from us, comedian's point of view, <clears throat> like I think, how the hell did I commute? I was talking about earlier on, four hours to get to a gig, to do 20 minutes and come back. Like that seems, like uh, that time is not, that time is too valuable now. I can't do that anymore. I hated the idea of Zoom gigs during lockdown, but now the I trend is them. to punch comedians when you don't like them. I'm back on Zoom. I'm love, I loved place. Zoom gigs, I really did. Um, so your time is more valuable, you know, and, and your home life is more important. And I think there's a lovely... Uh, quote here work is no longer a place but what is done and that is so true because it shouldn't be the place i know this is going to affect the economy but then i think we're going to have to find a different way of working or move forward in a different way and just change the whole culture um because every office every organization is demanding this kind of like either a hybrid uh, like a model we can have a bit of both but definitely working for men. And I think you are more productive as well. Well, inventing the loom changed the economy, but you ha- kind of had to roll with it because yeah. these changes. Now, um, five kids, do you prefer working at home? I don't mind the occasional weekend away. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it, people have got used to it. This, look, this was a trend that was happening before COVID and the, with Zoom and stuff like that. These aren't new inventions. They were there and they were being implemented. People aren't even talking about working home full time. They're talking about having a two from these different studies. They're talking about hybrid stuff. So they're talking about having about two days at home. And yes, it's women, if because women still are doing the predominant, not in my house, but doing a lot of the, the childcare and to be flexible. But, you know, there are arguments, the effect it has on inner cities in terms of people coming in, transportation uh, and restaurants and all the other stuff. And there is an idea that people aren't necessarily as productive necessarily. It depends on the job, of course, but certainly in creative industries or things that require collaboration, being there face to face arguably is better for that particular for for certain jobs. But saying that phones for you creator John Caldwell, basically he slammed a growing sense of entitlement on the part of part of workers who he said believe that jobs exist for their own convenience. As, a, you know, mate, as opposed to making him money. So, i.e., those workers oh wanting their own, you know, it's like, mate, yeah, people have jobs because we want to make money to survive. Like, we're not there for to make money for you. Uh, it's just, it was. Remote working basically is sticking it to the man in the biggest way possible. And that's, that's the reality. That's why, you know, that's why people are like from the top of sort of like pushing back on it. Well, I guess we won't see you here again. Um, coming up next, uh, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has come up with a novel way to deal with coronavirus. And are you a user of the power pose? If not, perhaps you should be. We will investigate further.
Welcome back to Headliners. I'm Stephen Allen here with late night hilarity dispensers. My guests are Gila Kershey and Josh Howie. Let's look at Tuesday's Times. Uh, Josh, are we meant to be uh, taking some advice, health advice from mm. Kim Jong Un? Yeah. So uh, I didn't know this, but just gargle some water, salt water, mm. get rid of your COVID. Oh, yeah. He heard it. He got it from Trump. Trump said, "Let's do it, Kim. Come on, mate. Just do a bit of gargling." Uh, so North Korea, like, uh, has supposedly avoided up until now um, COVID, uh, being a close society. But uh, there was an unknown fever has been spreading since April. It's a shame because I've got like a whole load of lateral flow tests that I could have uh, chucked over. They could have sorted this out a, a long time before. But they're saying there's more than uh, 1.2 million people out of a population of 26 million people um, supposedly are infected. And uh, now uh, Kim Jong-un is wearing a face mask, uh, which is also helping him with like the body doubles and all of that. It just makes it a lot easier just get a face mask and then they just need to find someone overweight. Actually, that's quite tough in North Korea. Like the only person. <laughs> they're all him. They're all, they're all, they're all pretty, pretty, they're all pretty svelte. Uh, <laughs> all. So, um, but yeah, it, basically COVID has come to North Korea. And they're not prepared for it. Surprise, surprise. They have been offered help from China, from South Korea. The question is, will they take that help? Uh, because it certainly from South Korea would be seen as a massive um, weakness for them to do so. So, you know, this gargling with salt water, do they have to do gargling? Happy birthday while they're doing that. Because I used to be able to hum. Oh, you... When I used to gargle, I used to be able to do little tunes. Like, do you have to do happy birthday? Is that how well, you gargle? That's what, that's what, is that, that how you gargle? That's what Fauci said in America. You have to... You have to gargle for happy birthday. Yes. Yeah, like, yeah. That's the site. The WHO has, has, has actually said that, yeah. I mean, to be fair, and this is quite a reach to try and find something that's a counterpoint, mm. gargling salt water, it is good for tonsillitis. Mm. Well, that's the end of me trying to find any positivity in this story. <laughs> it's good for other things. Yes. I, mm. Horrible to do, though, isn't it? Have you ever done it? Yeah, well, yeah, I love it. What? I don't love it, but I liked it. Well, I didn't dislike it? it. It was all right. Well. It was once or twice. You moved to North Korea. <laughs> He's still talking about the same thing. Uh, Sajila, the Daily Mail, is telling us to strike a pose. OK, There's the nothing. power pose really does work. So dominant posture... Used by Theresa May, Elon Musk and Beyonce makes you behave more confidently, study confirms. And just the other day at the weekend, I was working with some newer comedians and advising them similar that it's important, like, because they were just like kind of, you know, shuffling around like they did on the stage. And I said, look, have a power stance. Um, and Theresa May, if you recall, I don't know if we've got, do we have photos of this? I was promised, but maybe we don't. We don't have any photos. No, I'm not missing. <laughs> oh, no, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That, that's, that's, that is. The uh, the power stance and it's the actually the Wonder Woman but she's not doing it with the hands on the I hips thought, no. but it's also a bit awkward because her legs she doesn't quite she's not quite confident enough with her legs there so she's not quite got it but she looks like she's about to serve at table tennis I think she or, looks like she's about to, to wee yes yeah, she's got the wee up. I've seen that a few times yeah, in Newcastle I've, yeah, I've on a Saturday that. night yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. we standing up uh, yeah but so that's that's kind of not quite there so now I'd like to show you someone who who has mastered the art of the power uh, Wonder Woman pose with a mic in their hand. If we have a exhibit B, there we go. Um, that's me. Okay. <laughs> and out of the two people we've just seen, which one managed to become Prime Minister? Well, I'm, she might be Prime Minister, but I'm in Marrakesh there at the Global Compact signing. So I was with very important people. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. which Britain didn't want to sign. But anyway, that's the other another story. So there are different types of poses. And just for you at home, I don't know, maybe you could come along, play along with this, guys. Right, so there is, because you look very clean, there's, it's one called the Mr. Clean, yeah. which is, if you could model it for us, Steve, it's tightly crossing your arms over your chest, rolling your shoulders back, and it's the perfect pose for speaking confidently in a meeting. Well, there right. you go. I, I, I totally believe you now. No, no, don't let, do the pose and see if he can guess what it is. All right, this is, this is, I'm going to do the Obama. Obama. Okay, those looking to... I don't know. No, don't guess, guess, don't guess what it is. You can't, he's going to guess it. Okay, okay. You oh, oh, you're going to guess. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah, but you don't know options. what it is. What does it mean when oh. I do this? Okay, is it yes. the Obama? Oh, that's it. Go, this go, is the Obama. You can use me. Go on. What does this mean? You've, you've got a very tight hamstring. No, Obama's incredibly loose, yeah, as we yeah. all know. There's those looking to pitch it's an idea at the workplace. Pitching an idea. Yeah, yeah. Is they it? should put their feet something. up on the table and cross their hands behind their head. That is the Obama. Okay. And the performer? That's landing a plane. Uh, wide, Semi- legs wide. Confidence levels. Uh, yeah. Deodorant levels. You've got to put your hands above your... And then do that kind of rock and roll thing. Yes, people, I'm here. Uh, and that's like basically you head into an interview like that to boost your... You never get through the door. Does, which does make you look like, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, so hey let's break some plates, Come everybody. On, give me the job, give me the job, yeah. Uh, all right, there we go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Thank so you. uh, you've learned all these poses you, now. You've already enjoyed this. This is a fun new game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. poses, no? no? Well, nothing better than that one. Uh, Sajila, let's move on now to... Okay, from from posing to marriage therapist who reveals the one complaint about men she hears from most wives. They've spoken to your wife, Josh Howie. They've spoken to your wife, Stephen Allen. And it has nothing to do with your cheating or romancing of other ladies. It has to do with the fact that you don't clean up. Oh, no, yes. that is not yes. that is not what she's okay. saying at all. But you all. do it. Okay, so it's active responsibility. Would you be looking around the house for things to do? So basically, you actively, which is what my brother-in-law is very good at. He just whatever he sees needs doing, he does it. They so work as a team. And then the passive responsibility. I have been irritated by this in the past. My relationships is where you say, "Could you please put the rubbish out once." And then you come back and it's not happening. Could you please put... Yeah, in a minute, in a minute. That's not what it says either. I think that... Yes, but I'm having my bit in this as well. Well, it's a shame they're not hosting it, is it? In the show, it's in the story. They say the passive one is you're told to do it and you do it, but the people are annoyed that you've even had to be told once. Basically, not that you don't do it. You do it, but you were told. But you were told. And even the fact that you're told, why can't you just do it yourself? I do. I have some chip in my shoulder about this from the past, obviously. I've taken some... Obviously, bringing my own stuff into this, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying, why don't you? Are you are you one of those, or are, do you, do you need to be told, or do you? No, I don't need to be told if it's in my eyesight. I'm very good at. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've, I was reading this one, and I th- it dawned on me. You know, all these active ones. The definition of an active mm-hmm. task. So a person will see, oh, that needs doing. Do it. How will you ever really notice? I, my point will be that you're far more likely to count the number of passive ones where you've had to tell someone to do mm. something, then notice the active ones. Because there might be active tasks that the other half doesn't even want doing. I might think, oh, that table needs to be cleaner than it is. I clean it. I go about my day. That's not going to mm. be caught. Do you get, no, no, no. Do you get, you're get noticed? You're, sorry, you're absolutely right there. It's about, and there's studies have shown that men do far more housework than women acknowledge. Like when they actually broke down and put cameras in the house and whatever... That it was like women seriously underestimated how much housework men do. And 
The other difference I'd like to say, and maybe this is, I don't know if this is between men and women, this could just be that one partner to another partner, but I find that one partner is like a proper cleaner mm. and one person is just a tidier. My wife is good, like she put the pillows, do the whatever, but in terms of like, this, I'm going to clean that bath, yeah. I'm going to clean that toaster, I'm going to get on my, you know, like she might clean the kitchen floor, like in a, sort of sweep it away, but I'm like the person who gets down on my knees and gets the rare and really gets down for an hour sweaty. I agree. Well, that's I agree. a big there, difference. There is, one, there is one that's actually the more clinical cleaning and the other one who's a tidier, tidier. It's availability bias. I think this story is availability bias, the idea that you only count the ones that you notice and they go, he never does anything, based on the <laughs> not measuring if anyone does anything. Um, let's move on to the next one before more rows break out. The Times next, Josh, a giraffe that could do the best moonwalk ever. Yeah, this is in the Times. Um, obviously, slow news day. Uh, <laughs> it's a San Diego Zoo in California. And there was a, a sort of like a Forrest Gump of, of giraffes born <laughs> with a sort of buckly knees, knees facing the wrong way. I didn't even know that was possible. And like in Forrest Gump, they tried putting all these kind of braces on it. In the end, they actually had to go to a specialist who fitted them out, even paid them stripes to make them look like they and, and it's worked out and the and the the draft is now walking and it's the same place that uh they also uh gave a prosthetic tail a prosthetic tail uh i was gonna say prosthetic tail, uh to a uh to a dolphin so a dolphin got a and that was a film was made called dolphin tail no yeah uh don't ruin the ending for me yeah sorry where's the dolphin has a tail? But Dolphins have tails, yeah. Have tails? They but swim. The person who did this is, anyway, this is called Ara um, Miserane. Anyway, but this is kind of disgusting, and I don't, but close your ears, kids. It said, she said, uh, this is the first time in my 30-year career that I've actually done it for any type of wildlife. And um, that was just so. Should we move on to the next well, I was going to say, nice bit that, you know, she was, after being rejected by the mother, she was adopted by, an, you know, when she got braces off, she was adopted by another adult female. So I thought it was quite nice that happens in the end. We don't say adult female anymore. We say... Um, started breast, him off. Breastfeeding. <laughs> so, Gila, the mirror tells us about yeah. the oldest We're human-shaped really looking... statues and looking at them, I guess, things <clears throat> were a lot smoother by then. OK, um, so bizarre giant, bizarre giant statues could have been uh, guardians over ancient graveyard. So, um, yeah, slow stories. Uh, mysterious giant <laughs> statues thought to be over 3,000 years old, like I care, um, have been discovered at a necropolis in Sardinia and are capable of attracting the attention of the whole world. Um, did you hear that? The whole world, the whole world have been attracted by this. What I want to know is, I mean, it's great. They've got the, the, the whole thing of the, the bizarre Bronze Age statues are thought to be over 3,000 years old, blah, blah, blah. And they're dated between the 18th and 8th century BC. I want to know, like, so we're discovering all this stuff, all mm. these, you know, these artefacts that kind of come out. Aren't we, like, this is obviously going back way, 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 way. When are we going to start digging up things like from the 70s, I don't know, like platform heels and, you know, have you never had a dig in the garden? You can't find all that stuff just in your back garden. Do you already? We're already digging yeah. up these things. Well, attached to bodies. That's <laughs> <laughs> what area you live in, doesn't it? Yeah. But yeah, you can platform heels attached to bodies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's it's fantastic that we are still finding these artifacts, and uh, I wonder if it's to do uh, with the Earth moving a little bit more. Because why haven't they been? I think they're. Before? I think because they're 
haven't dug in that place. <laughs> but it's such a really boring thing to do. Like, but why would you want to just keep digging every day? That's oh my what I'm gosh! Go. All the people who watch Time Team and GB News are going to get very angry with you. <laughs> they love it. They love a bit of digging. I lo- oh, okay. Look, if you're diggers out there, um, I'm just going to keep digging. Man, so you're going to get some abuse on Twitter. Three worst people. We're into our last minute, so <laughs> okay, okay, I want to move on to this story because this is important information. Yes. Josh, the Daily Star warns us of a new trick that thieves are doing, or it's educating thieves in a new trick that they could try. Yes, it's exactly that. Uh, but basically, people with smart doorbells—I can't. I don't know if you guys have got smart doorbells. I can't afford it. But uh, basically, they don't actually put off burglars. Burglars will go, "Ooh, they're doing all right with their smart doorbell. I better, ooh, better go around." And then they go around the back, or they use GPS, or they take the batteries out, or whatever. So basically, go back to not having a smart doorbell. Yeah, uh, it's much safer. I love the fact that you spend all that money for a better doorbell, and all it's likely to do is just give you footage of someone robbing your house. <laughs> yeah, not that you'll ever catch them, but at least yeah. you get to watch it happen. Yeah. Oh, bless, isn't it? So yeah, we're better off not uh, not getting that job where we earn more. Contrary yeah. to earlier advice, mm. I'm going to stick to not doing better and uh, have my old-fashioned doorbell. Well, that's all we've got time for. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you to my guests, Josh Howie and Sajila Kershi. We'll see you tomorrow at eleven. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring. 